0: Take our Bibles, turn over the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. I still have some of that drywall dust in my throat. throat) Wow, that's something. I don't know what it is, but it keeps getting stuck there, I don't know. All right, Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through the first five verses of that chapter. And then we're going to take a look around the book of Acts tonight. All right, beginning in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. <clears throat> the Bible says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but the father was a Greek. <clears throat> which was well reported of by <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And <clears throat> as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep, and were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem, and so were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily, increased in number daily, and so were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily. Well, here we have in chapter 16, uh, a little bit of information about the Apostle Paul, and basically uh, part of his ministry. But it was intriguing to me as I arrived at verse 5, I wondered how in the world did they get to the place, how did they ever arrive at verse 5? I mean, how did they get to the place where the churches uh, were established in the faith and increased in number daily? I mean, because when you think about it, isn't that what we want? Isn't it uh, something that we strive for? Don't we want to see the churches or church established and increasing in number daily? One may argue that that's not always God's will, that we see an increase daily. But why shouldn't it be our goal at least? You know, I mean, why shouldn't that at least be the goal? Someone says, well, I don't know, you know, that's up to God whether the church increases. Well, First of all, this is in uh, after Jesus Christ resurrected. This is after He went back to be with the Father. This isn't Old Testament doctrine. This New Testament. We see here in the church that God intended, desired, and longed for the church to increase. He wanted His churches established. He wanted His His churches to be grounded and founded on the Word of God, and he wanted to see them increasing regularly, consistently, and even daily. But let's say that for just a moment that isn't the case. Maybe for some reason today in 2012, God doesn't want our church to increase daily. He doesn't always want souls saved and people baptized every week and every day of the week. Let's just assume that's the case. Why in the world would it be wrong to make that your goal? It did it bother you a little bit when somebody's a little bit upset about a desire to see people saved and to see people baptized and to see the church grow? Isn't there something wrong with someone like that? I'm just wondering because last time I checked, that's the reason Jesus Christ came to this earth, to seek and to save that which was lost. So why in the world would another believer say something like, I can't believe that all you're concerned about is winning souls and seeing them baptized and added to the church? I got a problem with that Christian. <clears throat> when it seems very clear to me that God's Word explicitly states that that ought to be something we ought to be shooting for. As long as there are souls dying and going to hell, we ought to have a guess, uh, 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 what do you want to call it, somewhat of a holy dissatisfaction with the lack of effort that often we put forth. We ought to want to reach every single person in every single place on this globe. How in the world can we be content While there are people dying and going to hell. Say, so be content in whatsoever state you're in. Well, that's not the state I'm in. That's their state. And I'm not content with their state. <clears throat> I can be content with mine, but not theirs. That bothers me. I, I, I don't know about you, but I want to see everybody saved that can get saved. <clears throat> and here in this passage, I come to a place where there's a group of churches that there are being established in the faith. And they're increasing in number daily. Well, listen, that's what I want to see at Community Baptist Temple. And I think that's what you want to see. What's it going to take to achieve that goal then? What's it going to take to arrive at that place where we're experiencing an Acts 16.5 experience? Well, I'm going to share with you just a couple of things because we're going to look back through the uh, book of Acts now slightly. We're going to kind of draw ourselves back and bring ourselves back up there just to kind of see how they got to that place. Because we're going to need some of the same characteristics and qualities and same things that they had if we're going to see that happen in our church. And uh, I want to see it happen. I really do. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Lord, I thank you so much for the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this written word that we have to hold in our hand and, Father, to read daily and to be able to just... Take it in, drink it in, and embrace it, and memorize it, and just to share it with others. Lord, it is a privilege, and it is a blessing. It is not a burden to bear at all. Lord, thank you so much for it. Now, Lord, help us, Father, just to take it and and hold it up, and Lord, just to encourage others in the, the cause of Christ. Speak to our hearts and help us to see what it's going to take to see our church increase daily, to see us established in the faith and in the Word of God, to be founded and grounded on the truth. And then to be able to share it and to see it bring forth fruit each and every day. Lord, we'll thank you for that. Now speak to our hearts and may we honor you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> First of all, what's it going to take to arrive at a Acts 16.5 experience? Where the church is increasing daily. First of all, it's going to require a call. Look in the book of Acts chapter 13, a few chapters back. <clears throat> Acts chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church, it was Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, and, that was called Niger, Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manium, Uh, which had been brought up from Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at... Well, that's good right there. That's good enough. Notice again, in the passage, there were those that ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. There's a call here. There's a call. Now before this call, there was no Acts 16, 5. Before this call, there were no churches established in that region that was being spoken of in Acts 16. Before that call, there were no souls established and there were no increase daily. But we have a call. Paul here goes out ultimately to the Jews, and as he reaches out to the Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is rejected. And then the Bible tells us after being rejected of the Jews, he ultimately is turned toward the Gentiles. Look, if you would, over in the book of Acts again, chapter 14, verse 46. <clears throat> You'll never find it. I just thought I would check and see how it was turning out for you. Make that 1346. (laughs) That's when I wish I had a secretary I could blame for a typo. But I type all my own messages. But nonetheless... Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now again, we know in the book of Romans that it's to the Jew first. But they took the gospel to the Jews and they had reached out to the Jewish people and had sought to win them to Jesus Christ and they rejected the message of Jesus Christ. They rejected the Messiah itself and they rejected the men of God that brought the message. And now the Apostle Paul says, fine, if you don't count yourself worthy of everlasting life, if you don't want to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, if you don't want to end up ultimately in heaven, if you want to hold on to that That uh, religion you call Judaism, if you want to continue to try to seek to offer sacrifice in order to make your way into heaven, if you're going to go ahead and try to follow the law to earn your God's favor, then you go right ahead and do it. But we're going to turn to a people that are going to listen to the gospel and receive Jesus Christ. And so they turn to the Gentiles. There's a call. Let me say today, among our ranks, we need some more men to be called to reach out with the gospel to a world that's lost. If there's one thing that has yet to happen in our church, it's for men to finish Bible college and to start works. That's the thing that's lacking at Community Baptist Temple. we got a couple of fellows that have begun churches that came forth out of our church. But as a, as a whole, there's no real plan in place to make that happen. And it won't happen till there's some men that say, I will let God work in my life. I will permit God to call me to the work. I will let God do a mighty work in my life and my family and go out and start a church or take a church or go to the mission field and do something for God. And I'm going to tell you, there's will not be people being saved daily. There will not be a result of that kind of established ministry and a, that kind of productive ministry until there are called men of God. Not as many amens as I'd like in that area. And unfortunately, that's just a direct result of a fact that we have yet to get the real call of God sometimes in our lives. There's not one man in this room that's too old to hear the call. Not one. Not one. I know, I know, I know. We're retired. I know we're close to our 401Ks cashing in. I realize that we've got all kinds of plans for the future. But let me tell you something. We don't, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So we might as well just obey God today. And all I'm saying is, you, better be, you want to be right in the center of God's will. And if we're going to have a church that's established, we're going to have churches that are increasing in number daily, there needs to be a call. There needs to be some men of God. But not only that, not only a call we're going to need, but we're going to need a cause. We're going to need a cause. Look at Acts 13 again, verse 47. He's right there in 46 anyway. Look right at 47 there. Notice what it says. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. He said, man, you've been called... And now you've gone out to the Jew, they have rejected you, you turn to the Gentiles, and the Lord says, I have, so the, the Lord hath commanded us saying, I have set thee to be a light unto the Gentiles, or of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. We find a cause here, or if you will, a big vision. Notice the ends of the earth. I mean, the end of the line was the uttermost part of the earth as spoken by the Lord was before He departed to heaven. In Acts chapter 180 he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I'm going to tell you, that command has not been rescinded. It hasn't been rescinded. We're still commanded to go. We're still commanded to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a big vision. And when people start getting a little bit unsettled about a big vision, it's because they aren't close enough to God to see it. Let me tell you something. This church shouldn't be satisfied with reaching Akron, Ohio. This church cannot be satisfied till it reaches the world with the gospel. How selfish are we to settle for a comfortable ministry? That's downright selfish. We're comfortable. That's selfish. While there is a world dying and going to hell, while there are mommies and daddies that will burn forever in a lake of fire, Well, there are little children that will grow up without any similitude of religion in their life. They'll know nothing about Jesus Christ, nothing about the Word of God, and nothing about what's going to take place when they close their eyes in death, only to wake up in an inferno of fire forever. And yet we're content and satisfied with a comfortable ministry. I remember growing up, I had a number of Aches and pains in my joints, my knees, in my my elbows, my shoulders, even my back. My mom would say things to me like, that's all right, they're just growing pains. And I'm thinking, well, just growing pains? They hurt. But you know, you can't grow without stretching yourself. And stretching yourself causes pain. And the church will experience some discomfort, even pain, when it's growing. But isn't that what Jesus wanted? Thank you, two of you. Do you honestly think that it's God's will that we stay small? Is that the will of God that we never reach out and win anyone else? That we just maintain what's inside the confines and the walls of this little auditorium? (laughs) Are you kidding me? To think that and to be content with that and to just be satisfied with that is nothing less than selfishness. If a church isn't experiencing growing pains, it should be praying for them. It ought to be praying for them. God, help us to be a little uncomfortable with growth around here. Help us to be struggling to find places to put classrooms. Father, may you fill the parking lot up so that we have a problem for parking. Those are prayers that every preacher would love to have or should love to have. We want God to put us in a position where we're stretched, where we're, we're expanding, where we force ourselves to grow and we feel a little pain even sometimes. It's a good thing. If your kids never grow, we said it was unnatural the other day. If churches don't grow, it's unnatural. Oh, I know that's not common preaching today and that's not what we hear from most pulpits. But that's because we don't have very many preachers with any real vision today. And we don't have churches and people too often with vision either. Thank God for a community Baptist Temple that says, we're not going to be satisfied as the world dies and goes to hell. We're going to keep reaching out. We're going to keep striving to take the gospel to each and every creature in this world and we're going to keep growing and going on behalf of God. almost digressed to a just a moment ago I almost almost did, I almost digressed to a Jack Hiles deal I almost started talking about how sad it is to watch church members sitting in the corner sucking their thumb complaining about why the church is growing and we have to move to another place I almost said that but I didn't (laughs) I caught myself Glad I didn't. Because somebody would probably put something nasty about me on Facebook. A call, a cause. We need a big vision. You're never going to see the church established and increasing in number daily if there isn't a big vision. Number three, we not only need a call and a cause, but we need a courage. We're going to need a courage. <clears throat> I want you to take your Bible now and I want you to go back to Joshua chapter 1 because every time I think of courage, I can't help but kind of reflect with that passage over there in Joshua. While you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and let her fly. I'm going to tell you something that, I, that I'm still struggling with, that I still struggle with as a pastor. Let me, let me, let me tell you. Now that again, you have your own opinion. That's fine. But I personally... I still struggle with this idea that everybody goes out to start a church in the United States of America has to be supported. I have a real problem with that. What happened to just going out and getting a job and start knocking doors in a community? What happened? Wait a second, that's, that's right, that's a little too much work. You might have to neglect something. Oh, you mean like TV? You mean like a little sleep? Now I'd have to neglect my family. And if your family ain't in it with you, you might as well not get in. I got a little problem with it. Well, it doesn't work like that. Oh, that's right. I remember back in 1994, people saying the same thing because they said, oh, back when Dr. Cummins started church, it was different. It was easier. And now it don't work that way. And I said to myself in 1994, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start a church like Dr. Cummins did and I'm going to prove with God's help that it can be done today. And I wish there were some young men in this room that would say, I'm not going to wait around for somebody to support me. I'm not going to wait around to, to go through every church and try to drum up some kind of assistance. I'm just going to go out and prove to the world that God's still able to build a church. And I'm just going to get a job. I'm going to work. And I'm going to strive. And I'm going to stay at it until God does something. I'll be honest with you. It's a lot easier. It's a, I mean, it's a lot more motivation to uh, work hard and win people and Knock on doors when you know your livelihood's attached to it and you're working night and day and you say to yourself, it'd be nice if I could actually get a day off instead of going, boy, those checks are nice coming in. I think I'll spend two hours knocking doors and three hours studying my lesson and then I'll go pick my kids up from school and then, you understand where I'm going? I'll guarantee you'll be much more motivated when you're working to put yourself in the ministry than when you're already in working to build one. Now again, you may not understand that, but I think I know a little bit about it. I've been there. It's different today. Yeah, it was different when I started too. I just want you to know that. It's always been different. Every generation thinks they got the toughest time in history. Preacher really encouraging today. I just want to see God bless this ministry. And it don't happen until we start working in spiritual realms the way we worked in that carousel the other day for two, two, two weekends. I watched the men of God. I watched them work. They know lazy men in this church. They were working like dogs in that place. And I thought to myself as I watched, I mean, they strove, they, they sweat, they worked. And I thought, man, what could God do if that many men got on fire for Him and worked that hard to reach people with the gospel? I'm not saying some aren't. I'm just saying it would be nice if all of them did. What a difference we could make in Akron, Ohio, and around this world if we had men like that in every church across this country that's preaching the gospel. But it's going to take a courage. Joshua 1, verse 6. You didn't think I'd ever get here, did you? I wondered myself. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. let's just be honest nothing substantial or great has ever been accomplished on behalf of God without a demanding considerable courage costing a great price and requiring a tremendous sacrifice it's never happened it's never happened what am I telling you it'll only get worse before it gets better say, what do you mean? Until we get to heaven, we're in a battle. And that battle never ends. And if I got even just that much of the master's blood pulsing through my veins, if I'm that much of a citizen of heaven, if I'm that much of a child of God, from that much of a co-laborer with the Lord Jesus Christ, that I can't honestly rest until every single one of them is saved. Paul and Barnabas find themselves in Antioch of Pisidia. It's a different Antioch than the one in Syria. Again, they're sent out from the church at Antioch in Syria. They arrive ultimately in a place called Antioch of Pisidia. Again, they'd left Antioch of Syria. Now, let's see what happens. Turn over to the book of Acts again, verse uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> talking about being courageous. Acts 13. Again, nothing substantial or great has ever been accomplished on behalf of God without it demanding considerable courage costing a great price and requiring a tremendous sacrifice. In Antioch of Pisidia here, chapter 13, verse 44 and 45, we notice that it says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. Now, wouldn't that be an exciting uh, service? Almost the whole city got together. I mean, that would be like a Billy Graham crusade. I like it. Wouldn't it be nice if Fundamental Baptists had Billy Graham crusades again? I'm talking about the old-fashioned ones where people got saved and there were good people working the altars that knew, knew about the gospel, that it was salvation by grace through faith. By the way, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not doing this to hurt or harm anyone. I'm telling you, the Billy Graham movement has gone way out there. You'll go there and listen to rock music. You'll go there and see people elevated and lifted up. You'll go there and see a Catholic working an altar. That's a problem. I remember when we started the church a few years into the church, or it was about a year in, actually. Man, it hadn't even been that long. They were having a huge Billy Graham crusade. Actually, it was in 1994, I think. It was over here at the, uh, up in Cleveland at the uh, Coliseum. Uh, not the Coliseum, the, um, the big uh, ball stadium, the, the baseball stadium. It was the old stadium, not the new one. And it was a huge stadium. And I remember running into a man as I was door knocking, talking to me about how he was working the altars at the Billy Graham Crusade. He was taking classes at his church. I said, what do you mean your church? It was some saint something or others. And I asked him, I said, sir, can you lead me to Christ? Tell me how I would get to heaven. He said, well, I don't really know that, but we're try- they're trying to teach us that. I said, well, when is this? He goes, it's next week. I said, well, you're working the altar? I said, what church are you going to send people to that get saved? He goes, well, there's a bunch of us churches that are getting together, helping at the crusade, and we're just going to go ahead and split them up. That was back in 94. Now, I'm not opposed. I love to watch Billy Graham on TV even to this day. <laughs> I'll get that TV. I'll flick it on. I'll, I'll see old Billy up there. <laughs> he talks a lot. you know, know, right? Then he'll get fired up. I like it. Man, Billy Graham, I'm telling you what, there are millions of souls that are probably going to be in heaven because of that man and the ministry that God gave him. I, I don't doubt that a bit. There may be people in this room that actually got saved as a result of a Billy Graham crusade. Praise God for that. Well, I wish we had good fundamental Baptists to get together and make that happen again. I wish that would happen again. Watch thousands of people come to Christ in one meeting. This is a Billy Graham crusade, so to speak. I mean, the whole city's coming out. It doesn't quite end the way they'd like it to. Notice what it says here in verse 45 again. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Blaspheming. Anytime there's success, there's always someone that envies that success. People are real nice to us right now. But when we get in that building, you wait to see some of the darts that'll be thrown at us. You wait. Preacher will say something, and we may read about it in a newspaper somewhere. We'll here see it on a blog. It's not always going to be easy. When God blesses a ministry and it really starts to reach people and make an impact and influence lives, there are people that will be jealous and try to break it up. That starts pretty early on in churches. Sadly enough, sometimes it's from within. Too often that's the case. But that's what's going on here now. We see it taking place. Look at you in verse 50 and 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So what they do? They took off and left. Antioch and Pisidia. They have preached the gospel. They taught people. Next thing you know, they're reaching, having all this opposition. So ultimately, they go ahead and they move on out to Iconium. Iconium's 100 miles east of Antioch. You have Antioch and you have Iconium, just a little bit south east of them. 100 miles. And now here they are. In Iconium, chapter 14, verse 3. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Guess what again? Notice verse 2. Before we move any further, I don't want any mistake. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what's going on here. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. And now notice here what's happening in verse 3. He granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Don't ever forget, when you see signs and wonders and tongues being done, you always find a Jew hanging around. This is not a Benny Hinn crusade. It's not a Reverend Angley deal. This is legitimate gifts that God gave to the early church to confirm in the minds of unbelievers as well as those Jews that these men had authority from heaven alone. Those Jews required a sign. They needed a sign. The Gentile doesn't require that. And listen, you don't need it, and neither do I. We, by faith, believe Jesus Christ. You don't need a sign. You don't need a healing. You need Him. He continues here. We continue reading. But the multitude of the city, verse 4, was divided in part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles, and when, they were, uh, and when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews, with their ru- rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it, and fled into Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, Lyconia and under the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So here they are preaching now again. They were in Antioch and Pisidia. Now they're in Iconium. And I mean to tell you, they're reaching out. People are starting to come out to the services. They're starting to get fired up. There's half the people that believe in what they're saying. The other half are, are following after the Jews. And pretty soon they assault them. They go after them. They persecute them and seek to destroy them. And so here they go again. Well, we better move on. And so they leave Iconium, they go to Lystra, which is about 20 miles south of Iconium. So now you have, you have, uh, let's see, I gotta make sure I'm getting this right. East, yeah. So you've got over here, Antioch of Pisidia, you've got over here Iconium, and then below it, 25 miles, you've got Lystra. So now they're in Lystra, chapter 14, verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. Isn't that amazing? From Iconium and Lystra. Here they are now. Excuse me, from Antioch and Iconium. Antioch is 125 miles away. But those Jews just can't stand the fact that Paul and and Barnabas are seeing people saved and that their minds are being turned to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They follow them down there and they bring with them the people from Iconium. And there they begin to... Have an uproar, and ultimately you're going to see that they stoned Paul. That's what it says here now. in Verse 19 again. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. I mean, they, they had a rock concert right there in that city. And there he is laid out, dead or at least appearing to be dead, they drag, get him out of here, get him out of here, the heretic. They drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. God's not done with him, though. Notice what it says in verse 20. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him. Poor Paul. What are we going to do without Paul? Oh, man. Oh, Paul bit the dust. Took a rock in the noggin and sober. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, look at this. Verse 20. He rose up. What's everybody crying about? Wow, that, man, what in the world? Those rocks are hard. That that hurt. Anybody got a hanky? Let me wipe that blood off. Hold on a second. What happened to him, fellows? We better get out of here and run for the hills. What? Wait a second. What are we talking about? If we're ever going to, if we're ever going to see the church established, if we're ever going to see it increasing in number, we said we need a call, we need a cause, but we also said we need a courage. What are you going to do, Paul? Now that you've been stoned and drug out of the city and left for dead? Well, let's see here. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about in verse twenty, he rose up and came into the city. Man, I, I don't know. They cover him up. They try to hide him. I don't know. But what I do know is what's going to happen here in a little bit. But what he says here is that ultimately, the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. To Derby. Derby, as we're going to see. Is down below Lystra. Uh, excuse me. I've I'm, I'm, got to get this straight here. I'm getting myself all mixed up here. Lystra. Okay, there we go. Derby's below Lystra now. So now he's still going to another city and he's going to preach the gospel again. So he's been in Antioch, of Pisidia. He goes to Iconium, Lystra. Now he's going to Derby, another 25, 30 miles south. Okay, let's go ahead and find out. Chapter 14, verse 21, what goes on. <clears throat> And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, and to Iconium, and Antioch. So they preached the gospel to that city, they taught a number of those people, then the Bible says they returned. Amazingly, when they're done preaching and teaching to those people, they return again to Lystra, where Paul was left for dead, And to Iconium and Antioch where the accusers literally resided. You'd have thought they'd have just went back to Antioch of, of Syria. Why in the world did they go back to those cities? That's a courageous bunch right there. Hello, I'm Mark O'Donnell. This is Sherry, my wife. We're from Community Baptist Temple, just out in the area today because we believe God's concerned about folks. And because God's concerned about folks, so are we. So we thought we'd stop by today and see if there's anything that we could do as a church to help you or your family today. What? Oh. Wow, I guess they didn't want to hear from us. That door just slammed in our face. By the way, that's happened how many times in my whole life? Let's see. Oh, well, maybe two or three. I love it when people talk about how everybody slams doors in their faces. I think to myself, what are you, wearing a mask? <clears throat> You're going around like it's Halloween or something? You know, trick or treat, slam. I mean, how in the world does that happen? You say, well, I'm telling you, preacher, people just slam the door in my face. Well, come on, man. I mean, change something change what you're wearing, change how you look, smile or something, I don't know, or let your partner do the talking, I don't know, but I don't know about you, but I don't have a bunch of people slamming doors in my face, but of those few that have in the past, I mean, if I remember Mr. Niger and I was out one time, and we were, we knocked on the door, and I tell a story every once in a while, we got to talking to this man, and we was kind of distant from him, you know, we he would stand there, he had a he was, had been working in his garage, and he was about from me to Brother Mike there. And, and, and I was like, yeah, well, well, you know, and I was talking to him. And, and ultimately, I got into kind of start talking to him about the Lord a little bit. And uh, all of a sudden, his wife ran out of the house. Get out of here. Picked up a broom, started chasing us. We were like backing up. We we're like, well, we're leaving, we're leaving. I'm thinking, doesn't that guy have a mind of his own? Dude, what are you going to do about that? Your wife's chasing us down. You're listening to us tell you about the Lord, and you're letting your wife chase us down with a broom. I saw her jump on it and fly off even. I mean, those things happen, I agree, and I understand. From time to time, you get something crazy. But in the long run, aren't those the things that really spice it up a little bit? Hey, listen, it's going to take a little courage. Hey, listen, before we're going to see the church is established, before we're going to see the, the church increase with souls daily and find people coming to Christ on a regular basis, it's going to take a little courage. Not only a call, a cause, a courage, but a compassion. A compassion. Look in book, the book of Acts again, chapter 14, verse 21. We've been, we were just there. <clears throat> but notice what it says here in verse 21. He says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. That's, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Look at verse 22 now. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation Enter into the kingdom of God. Why'd they go back to the same cities they were run out of? Why'd Paul take a chance on being stoned all over again? Because he wanted to confirm the souls of the disciples. And he wanted to exhort them to continue in the faith. And to remind them that it is not going to be an easy road in which you travel. And he said, but I'm not going to leave them out on a limb. I'm going to go back and I'm going to face those that crowd that hates my guts if I have to. But I'm not going to leave my new converts high and dry. He had compassion for those people. He would have never thought of abandoning them. Abandoning them. So he returned to encourage them in the things of Christ. And you know what? The fruit from that journey would continue to serve us through the years and it would even yield one of history's greatest men of God. We find in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, as it looks back and reflects, Then came he to Derby and Lystra. Again, this is another journey. Not the one that we're reading about now, but another one in the future. And behold, a certain disciple was there. Named Timotheus. A certain disciple was there. That means he was already saved when they arrived. That means that probably, likely, in that first wave, that first missionary journey, the first time they had arrived on those shores of those cities, they led people to Christ, and one of them, one of them was certainly the mother of Timothy. And most likely, Timothy himself. And that's why Paul could say, or call him, my son in the faith. But his compassion placed him in harm's way. You know, when you care about people, you'll be willing to go to any length to protect them, to save them. Finally, we need a call, a cause, a courage, and a compassion. If we're going to establish and ultimately increase in number daily. But finally, we need a crew. I mean, if the vision was to be fulfilled, if really they were going to reach the world with the gospel, if they were going to turn the world upside down as they did, then it was going to require a team. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, the Bible says, And when they had ordained them, elders in every church... And had prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. He's talking about pastors. Men that can give wisdom and advice and leadership. We cannot get the job done alone. That is a reality. And that job cannot be done alone today. It requires many hands. You know, we think about the work that was done at the building these last two weekends. It was staggering, to be honest with you. Staggering. And there's still plenty of work to be accomplished, but what was accomplished was astounding. I mean, it was amazing, everything that was done in just 16 hours. That's all it was. Two five-hour days, two four-hour days. Make it 18. I was just wondering if you came up with the same total I did. Because if you did, you're not working in the financial office. 18 hours. In 18 hours, I can't even tell you how much was accomplished. It was done with teamwork. A crew stepped up, a crew worked together. Brother Cavanaugh would say, and I think this is how he says it, many hands make for light work. Is that what you say, or what do you say? Okay, good. He's probably told me that even if it wasn't true. He's like, oh, I'm not going to correct the pastor in the pulpit. Good man. Many hands make for light work. Some of you heard that statement or something to that, a variation of that, and that's so awfully true. I mean, a number of us were there. Like Brother uh, Hamilton said, there was probably 45, 50 different guys that showed up over the course of those two weeks. At any one given time, there was probably at least 35 fellows there. Amazing how much work was able to be done in that short of time because men stepped up and worked together. The Apostle Paul, along with his companions, saw the need to delegate the work. They ordained elder, elders. They ordained pastors into every church. They reproduced themselves in the lives of others. And then they went ahead and split up the work. You know, they could have chosen just to work Harder, maybe longer hours, but they could never have worked longer and harder than a hundred men. And today, if we are going to see Community Baptist Temple established, if we are really going to realize an increase in number daily. It's going to take a crew. It's not going to happen with one, two, five, or ten. That's why I love our team soul winning so much. Because it involves people. A crew. Because not only do we have those that are knocking the doors, but we have those that are praying alongside them. There's no way we can accomplish a spiritual work without spiritual work being done. Prayer is so essential and absolutely necessary. I polled all the soul winners yesterday as they were preparing to go out, and I said, how many of you believe that the prayer being done by our prayer partners is making a, a difference? It's preparing hearts. I don't know. From what I could see, it seemed as though every hand went up. I'm telling you, there is a difference knocking doors this year than there was a year ago. And I implore you and I beg you to keep praying. People are being saved. People's lives will ultimately be transformed and changed as they plug in to a ministry that has a big vision to reach a world with the gospel. Get on board with that vision. Do all that you can to make that happen, financially, physically, spiritually, everything and anything you can. Because in the end, I promise you, <clears throat> the only thing that will matter is what you've done for Christ when you stand before Him at the judgment seat. I just want to encourage you not to, to, to let this opportunity pass you. <clears throat> a call, a cause, a courage a compassion, and a crew. Jesus, nor the, should I say God, said, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Amen. Hey, it's time to start dreaming big. Amen. Have a big vision. We're beginning to see the plans starting to unfold and we're looking forward to having the plans to our building solidified here in the next few weeks and then being able to maybe present that and help people to understand and see what God's going to do. it's going to cost money. It's going to take effort. It's going to require sacrifice. and You ought to thank God you're part of it. You ought to gladly suffer. And thank God for the opportunity and privilege it is to be a part of it all. Because there are going to be thousands and thousands of people saved. As a result of what God's going to do. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for all.